to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, you can say it with me, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, nobody wants to say it, until we are parted by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. I've led hundreds of couples in saying those words in front of friends and family and former flings. You get to see a lot from where I stand as a pastor leading weddings. You'd really be surprised. Maybe you wouldn't. I believe every couple who stands on their wedding day and repeats those vows truly means it from the depth of their soul. But I wonder if when they stand here and repeat those vows, if they really understand the cost. Do they have any idea how ugly sickness can be? Do they have a picture in their mind of what poor really looks like? Do they know how much worse, worse can be? When Connie and I said our vows in December of 1981, there was no way for us to know the challenges that would be ahead of us because of life circumstances or because of the choices we would make in the next 30 years. There was no way for us to understand in our early 20s that sometimes the better only comes after the worse. Sooner or later, most every couple will face challenges to their wedding vows. Tough times can come, sometimes from those surprising places in marriage. They can come from even the good things, the normal things that happen in life, the birth of a baby a job promotion, retirement, even the good things in life can bring stress on a marriage, can bring pressures that can be incredibly intense. And our inclination is to think that those pressures, when faced together, will leave a husband and wife at the end of the time feeling closer because of what they've gone through together. But the sad reality is this that in the majority of times, it's not just struggling to survive the crisis, but it's the marriage itself that struggles to survive. So what are the game changers in a crisis? What is it that makes the difference for those couples that thrive and survive? And since we're all gonna face those tough times eventually, what is it that draws couples together rather than driving us apart. So what does it take for our marriages to survive the tough times? To come through on the other side, not only as survivors, not just with our marriages hanging on by a thread, but with it actually stronger to be glad that we were in the storm and that we had each other to hang on to. About three years ago, Steve and Katie Van Geem were thrown into one of those storms by a single phone call. 
Our daughter Ella was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of four. Um, and her treatment ran for about two and a half years. She had 794 days of chemotherapy and... Four weeks in the hospital yeah. total and five trips to the ER. I don't know how many. It was many. like 19 spinals, three bone marrow aspirations, three blood transfusions, uh, tons of extra nights in, in the ER just for um, being sick. Common cold became life-threatening to her. Um, but so it was about two and a half years that she um, battled leukemia. And you know she, she didn't have the worst case of cancer, but and she didn't have she had, a, she had a really great, um, that's what I'm looking for. Prognosis. Prognosis, yeah, that. <laughs> um, and she came through it. When your child is diagnosed with cancer, it changes your life. And it doesn't just change your life, it changes the life of you as a person, you as a couple, you as a mom, you as a dad, our family not just our close-knit family, but our circle of friends and family around us because we certainly couldn't have made it through without them. So it changes everything. Your outlook on everything becomes different. You know, we've talked some here at Westridge over the last three years about Ella's story. But we seldom stop to think about how it impacted Steve and Katie as a couple, how it impacted their family. When Ella began her treatments, Steve and Katie's world was turned upside down. I started tracking their progress on Katie's blog. I prayed for them, and it gave me a way to track how I should pray for them as a couple, as a family, how I should pray for Ella. I talked to them at church periodically to see how they were doing. And one particular Sunday, I caught up with them at church and offered them a gift certificate for a night out. A really nice gift certificate to a really nice restaurant on the condition that they went out on a date, just the two of them, without the kids. And that was made possible by a gift that I get periodically from someone here at church to do just that kind of thing. What was interesting was, and what shocked me, was that they refused it. (laughs) They said, you know, actually, we're doing quite well. Um, we go out on dates regularly, we're doing okay. They encouraged me to find somebody else who really needed that gift certificate. Uh, they've since come back and asked for it again, and I said no. <laughs> I was impressed, uh, because that's not typical. After 30 years of working in the church, what I know to be true is that this kind of thing, when it happens, when a storm hits a marriage, regardless of the kind of storm, it can rock your world and has the potential to destroy your relationship. There really doesn't matter what kind of a storm it is. It can be health. It can be financial. It can be job-related. really doesn't matter. It can wreak havoc when tough times hit you in your relationship. Financial pressures mount. Worry and stress takes over. Sleep becomes a stranger. And the pressures mount, and patience becomes a scarce commodity. 
And so when I thought about this series, the first thing that popped to my mind was, I want to revisit their relationship. I want to find out how they kept it together for three years, how they did so well. What did they actually do as a couple, as a family? What helped them make it through? And is there something we could learn from what they did? Or was it all just a facade? In which case, we wouldn't be talking about them this morning. Fortunately for Steve and Katie, there was one conversation that I believe was orchestrated by God in the first few days of Ella's illness that made all the difference. After Ella was diagnosed, she was in the hospital for about a week. And um, Steve and I were juggling Josh and the dog and um, actually just taking turns because there was so much happening. We were learning so much so fast. So um, the second night, I was at the hospital with Ella or the first night I was at the hospital with Ella, and um, in the hallway, someone called out to me, and they're like, Katie Metz? And I'm like, yeah, and I didn't recognize them, and it was somebody that I had gone to high school with, and his son was in the room across from Ella um, battling neuroblastoma, which is a, a tumor cancer, and Ella's is a blood cancer, so they're a little different, but, and we spent, after our children went to sleep that night, a good couple hours standing in the hallway outside their rooms talking and he shared with me all of these things that they had struggled for because they had been I think about eight months before us going through all of these things and radiation and but he actually shared with me the stress and the strain it had put on his marriage because they are two different types of people um, he was more emotional and she, she was more like a logical thinker um, so both of them were handling everything in such a different way and they weren't able to come together. And that he told me, he confided in me that it was tearing apart their marriage. So when Steve got to the hospital the next night and we were both there and Ella had fallen asleep and the room was dark and this is day two, we sat down right then and there and said, listen, <laughs> you know, this is going to affect us in ways that we can't even imagine. And one of the things we said that was we were gonna do our best to keep us a priority during this and keep Josh a priority and make time for each other and not have everything be centered around the cancer. I don't want to say Ella because we had to center things around her, but I didn't want our lives to become about this cancer and have it take over our lives. The actions they took coming out of that conversation made the difference in their marriage surviving and thriving over the next two and a half years. Now let's be clear, Steve and Katie would be the first to tell you they don't have a perfect marriage. They didn't do everything right as they worked through this tough time, but they were real. They were authentic. They lived out this journey with integrity and honesty in front of their family, their friends, their community group. And they're just simply willing to share with us this morning what they learned. One of my go-to passages for really for the Christian life and for specifically marriage is Colossians chapter 3 and specifically this morning I want to read to you verses 15 through 19 where Paul writes, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate Thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your life. Instruct and direct each other using good, common sense. And sing 
Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the Master. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Because there's some bad mojo in that verse. And it's all around that one word, submit. He made a baby cry. Some bad... Is that a little girl that's crying? It is, isn't it? I'm in deep trouble. It's all around that word submit. And it's a funny thing, because we use that verb all the time. And it doesn't cause us problems. We submit a job application. We don't have a problem with that word. But we plug it into this this verb, into this passage, and all of a sudden it has a bad feeling, like it's a bad word, a harsh word, when it really isn't. All it means is to consent, to give in to somebody else's opinion. And we have a problem with it because we pull it out of context with the rest of Scripture and what it teaches about marriage. When we read the entire New Testament and what it says about marriage, especially passage like Ephesians 5.21, we learn that husbands and wives are to submit to each other. Not just wives submit to your husbands. It's not a one-way street. With men ruling the home with an iron fist. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's a mutual giving in. In fact, if we really read and understand what the Bible teaches, it's the husband who gives in more. It's the husband who yields more, loves more. Because he's to sacrifice for his wife like Christ sacrificed for the church. He gave up his life for us. In fact, that's what Paul means when we go on and read verse 19 when he says, Husbands, go all out in love for your wives and don't take advantage of them. So what does it look like in a crisis, in a tough time? What would it look like if a wife understood and supported her husband? What would it look like in a crisis if a husband went all out in love for his wife in the midst of a crisis? If, as Paul encourages, we were in step with each other, in tune with each other in the middle of a crisis. Understand, we'll never do it perfectly. We never do. We can always improve. But here's some simple ideas. First, accept each other's differences. It's amazing how we can go through a crisis, the same crisis as two people in one household, and view it completely differently. When your world's knocked off its axis and everything is spinning out of control, one person in the marriage may be frightened or angry, and the other one is hurt and depressed. One wants to talk, and talk, and talk, and the other prefer to just sit quietly and think. One wants to process the journey with friends, every friend, and new friends, and the other wants to just sit and journal alone. One may be putting together a 15-point strategy to how we're going to dig out of this crisis, and the other one can barely put one foot in front of the other, and it has nothing to do with gender. Katie and I definitely deal with things differently. I'm the thinker, and she's the feeler. She's emotional, and I'm logical. And I know initially, I don't think my pain and and frustration with the journey 
was as easy to come by as Katie's. Uh, you were able to express it and let it pour easier <laughs> in everything in life. It's and easier pour, for you and pour, to and express it. <laughs> But that was something that, for me, that journey of pain came in little bits and pieces throughout the entire journey. And I don't want to say it was easier for you to express yourself in those times and places, sure. and it always is, which made for your own pain and suffering because on the times that I was feeling it, I have such a more difficult time expressing it. And in those times, my way of dealing with pain and frustration usually has to do with uh, pouting. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> and in those times, I know I added to your pain and suffering just with my withdrawal. And that was one of the ways that I dealt with it. But I think another way you dealt with it was running. Mm. You ran five marathons that year, and even though you already had that in place, I feel like that time when you left and you run, like that would help you get perspective. And because you don't listen to music or anything, you just run. Yeah, running is meditative. Yeah, like Steve said, we we deal with with um, stress and emotions a lot differently. Um, for me, I'm emotional, I'm a crier, I'm a talker. Um, one of the things I did was blog Ella's journey every day. Um, no matter how small or how big, I shared it. And it was hard because no one else was going through what I was going through. Even though Steve was there, you know, I was the one that was home all day with her, um, watching her hair fall out and um, seeing her face blowed up so big that that I didn't recognize her, and um, sorry. So um, for me, it was a good way to be like, okay, even though you don't understand, I'm going to tell you what's happening, um, and you'll either get it or you won't. And um, you know, I didn't. I tried not to write necessarily what people wanted to hear, but what I was feeling, and um, and that was one of the ways that I coped with what was going on. And also, since we're photographers, we took a lot of pictures of Ella and her journey. Um, and even now, I refer back to those pictures, and it's a way for me to uh, emotionally kind of go through it and grieve a little bit. To relive it in good and bad. And it's in, yeah, yeah, good and bad. Yeah. Because we wouldn't be in the place we are today yeah. without having gone through that journey, regardless of what what pain and, and suffering and emotional distress we went through, we wouldn't be who we are now. Yeah. And that's true for all of our lives, for every experience in our lives. So for we everyone. cherish, yeah, okay. we cherish those. The challenge is not to be the same. The challenge is to understand how you're processing, how you're dealing with things, and to understand your spouse and love and support them. Respect them, even when they see things from a different point of view. Second thing would be to lose the score sheet. If you're in a crisis, there are a lot of little things that go on in a household that are going to drop down the priority list. 
The laundry may not get picked up at the dry cleaners. The laundry in the house may not get done. Food may not be bought or prepared in the same way it was always done. Meals won't be ready on time. Dishes may not be washed. House may not be clean. Sometimes in a crisis, those of us who are a little more rigid and like structure, those of us who are a little more rigid and don't like and like structure, have to learn to be flexible and extend grace around what gets done, when it gets done, and if it even gets done. And we have to stop keeping score. It's one of the worst things you can do in a marriage, is keep score. Because when I'm keeping score about what I'm doing to make things better, about what I'm doing to make progress on getting us out of this crisis or how many times I'm forgiving or whatever. I see all the good things I'm doing. And honestly, they count double. (laughs) And I see only a few of the things that Connie's doing, my wife. And because they're things she ought to be doing anyway... They only count half. (laughs) I'm a bad, bad person. And you're right there with me. So the count won't ever be accurate. And all it's going to do is make me resentful. Counting leads to finger pointing, which leads to blame, which leads to resentment, which leads to arguments. It's never helpful. Maybe that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Third idea would be don't lose us in the midst of a crisis. Because when you're in the crisis, that's one of the first things that gets lost is time together as a couple. It's one of the things you most need in the crisis. Time to talk, time to have a date, time to escape the stress that you're under or just time to sit and talk about it. What's going on? How are you doing with it? So I would encourage you, I encourage myself, to just schedule that time several times every week to be alone as a couple, not as a family, as a couple. It can be over a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. It's your choice. Yes, I said that. It could be watching a red box movie or working a jigsaw puzzle. Time alone together is the important thing. Time with each other so that your relationship doesn't turn into a business partnership to manage the crisis. Um, I would say some of the things we put in place to help make sure that we didn't lose us during this whole process was we would go on dates. Um, Even though it was hard because mentally part of us was probably still with, with Ella, because it's hard Definitely. to completely walk away completely and not think about, you know, no one's going to give her the medicine the way that you do or know how to handle a fever, but we would, we would go out um, and try to enjoy time being Katie and Steve instead of mom and dad. One thing I did was to try to help us get through this was to give Katie the time and space that she needed, knowing that she needed to be able to get away. I tried to uh, make sure that she could get away, whether it was shopping at Target or a girl's night out or going to see a friend on the other side of the country or going on the mission trip. 
I was as supportive as I could be. I, I know in my own failings, I was more super, supportive verbally than I was in spirit, but I did try. And uh, one other thing that I did that I think I learned from my parents was whenever you left the house, I tried to make sure that it was clean and inviting when you came home. And just a little thing so that the act of coming home wasn't more stressed than it was just being there. Another thing we did was uh, we gave each other a little more latitude than we might have. Uh, laundry didn't always get put in the laundry basket or get done by either of us. I mean, I'm, I'm terrible at laundry. Steve's actually way better at it than I am. Um, but we didn't, those little things weren't important anymore. You know, there's a little bit of slack given when you know there's something way bigger important going on in the background. We also, we prayed and we made sure that God was part of this journey also. We knew that we wouldn't make it whole on the other side of this as, as strong as we went into it if we didn't also have God's presence that whole time. In this journey, it wasn't just me and Steve and Ella and our family. It was God and me and Steve and Ella and our family. He was already there and a part of it. So what we tried to do was make sure that that, that stayed and that didn't go away. God was a part of the whole journey for Steve and Katie and their family from beginning to end. And it wasn't just praying for Ella to make it through, for Ella to be healed, for Ella to be whole. They prayed for their marriage, prayed for their family. But they'd make it out the other side of the crisis as strong as they did going in. In the end, in fact, it was the peace of Christ that kept them in tune with each other, that kept them in step with each other. That was a critical peace. The last thing I'd say is this, and it was something that came out strongly as we talked. Don't wait for the crisis. One of the observations that stuck with me from my conversation with them was that over the two and a half years of going for treatments, of interacting with other families whose kids were going through chemotherapy, was that the tough times that families were going through seemed to only expose the stress fractures that were already present in the marriage relationship. didn't really create new ones. It just exposed them, heightened them, deepened them. So the challenge is to start working on our marriage relationships now. And that's tough. Because strengthening our marriage is one of those important things in life. It's not an urgent thing. It doesn't scream to get on our calendars for us to work on communication or acceptance Forgiveness, flexibility, us time on the calendar doesn't scream as an urgent thing. It all sounds good, but the other stuff in life seems to squeeze it out. But those are the tools, those are the skills that we'll need that make our marriages thrive in the tough times. And make our marriages go from good to great in the other times. The storms of life are coming for all of us eventually. And investing in our relationships now make all the difference then. 
Steve and Katie came through the last three years with a stronger marriage, a stronger family. And Ella, a few few months ago, she got the word that she's officially cancer-free. Their story gives us hope. Not, not that every time will have, not that every tough time in our life will have a storybook ending, because they don't. God doesn't promise us that the outcome of every story is a cancer-free prognosis, that the house will be saved, that the job will be ours. But their story gives us hope that if we invest in our relationship, if we build into our marriage, that no matter what this whole world throws at us, we'll be able to honor our vows to joyfully live out our lives together, for better or worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. And in that, we can find hope, even in the toughest of storms. We've been through hell. (laughs) To have someone tell you your child could die, I mean, that's hell on earth. And I know that Steve's got my back. You know, it might not always be smooth, but he might pelt through part of it. I might cry through part of it, but he's there for me. And I know that God picked the right partner for me in life.